Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And this was predicted hundreds of years before it occurred. Hello and welcome to the Millennial Apologist Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan. And in this episode, I'm going to briefly cover 20 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So what this means is that every prophecy I'm about to read to you was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you just need to know that the books of the Old Testament constantly look forward to the arrival of God's Messiah, or Anointed One. Now, in order to help people recognize who the true Messiah is, God inspired the writers of the Old Testament to record intimate details about his life centuries in advance. The ability to predict the future is unique to the Bible, as no other religious writing has ever accurately and consistently predicted future events like the Bible has. So when people ask why they should believe the Bible is the word of God instead of the Quran or any other religious book, this is one of the things you have to show them. Uh, and before we get into it, it's important to note that both science and scripture attest that the ability to predict the future is a quality that only God possesses. Because time is an actual dimension of our universe, this means that if a message was able to predict the future, then naturally that message would have had to have originated from outside of our universe and outside of our time domain. Obviously, us mere human beings are unable to predict the future because we only experience time in one direction. The Bible also acknowledges that God alone has the ability to truly know every detail of the future. The Old Testament passage of Isaiah 46 records God as stating to remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. So, now that we understand that only God has the ability to transmit a message from outside of our time domain, let's go ahead and dig into these prophecies. Prophecy number one, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This is stated in Micah 5.2, which says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth to me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Prophecy number two. Someone will come before the Messiah to set the stage for his coming. This is found in Isaiah 40 verse 3 and also Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. The passage in Isaiah states that the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
And uh, this was fulfilled by John the Baptist, who set the stage for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Prophecy number three, the Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey to declare his kingship. This is stated in Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey. And this was fulfilled by Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday uh, when he declared his messiahship, riding a donkey into Jerusalem. In fact, the Pharisees themselves recognized what Jesus was doing and got very upset at him for it. On to prophecy number four, which states that the Messiah will be wounded in his hands as a result by the betrayal of a friend. This is stated in Zechariah 13.6. It says, One shall say to him, What are these wounds in your hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And obviously Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his close disciples, and that resulted in him being crucified and getting wounded in his hands. Prophecy number five, Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Now, this is a really specific prophecy, but in Zechariah 11 verse 12, God is talking in this passage and says, I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And Judas betrayed Jesus for... 30 pieces of silver. And this was predicted hundreds of years before it occurred. What's cool about this prophecy is that it actually leads into our sixth prophecy, which is that the 30 pieces of silver used in the betrayal of the Messiah will be cast down in the house of the Lord, also known as the temple, and used to buy a potter's field. Now, this is very specific, um, but right after that passage uh, in Zechariah 11.12, the very next verse, Zechariah 11.13, states that the Lord said unto me, cast it to the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, if you recall, Judas Iscariot felt guilty about betraying Jesus, so he tried to return the 30 pieces of silver to the Pharisees, and they would not take it. So he cast it down on the ground while he was in the temple. And because the Pharisees recognized that that 30 pieces of silver was blood money, they said that they couldn't put it in the treasury, so they used it to buy a potter's field. And for those unaware, Um, In ancient times, uh, they would buy a potter's field because the potter would have already dug up a bunch of holes on the land. Um, So potter's fields were typically used as grave sites because you already had all the holes dug because the potters dug the holes looking for clay and whatnot. Um, So that's a very specific prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, our seventh prophecy states that even though completely innocent, The Messiah will be oppressed and afflicted, yet choose not to say one word in his defense. 
This is found in Isaiah 53, verse 7, which states, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. And, um, you know, when Jesus stood before Pilate and the Jews were making all these accusations against him, he just sat there and he did not choose to defend himself at all. Prophecy number eight, the Messiah would have his hands and feet pierced. Um, now, this is in Psalm 22, verse 16. It says, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, fun fact, Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even practiced. And I, wa I would highly recommend you go and read Psalm 22 from the perspective of Jesus hanging on the cross. Because the whole psalm starts out with the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I'd recommend you read that and look at Jesus' words on the cross and it will blow your mind. Um, but that, yeah, hundreds of years before the crucifixion occurred, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented, God told us that the Messiah would have his hands and feet pierced. Prophecy number nine, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. This is implied in Genesis 3.15 and stated explicitly in Isaiah 7 verse 14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which we know that Emmanuel means God with us. So um, here this prophecy also notes that the Messiah will be God in the flesh. Prophecy number 10, the Messiah will not have a single bone broken. Now, what's cool is that this is implied um, in the Passover ritual, which can be found in Exodus 12, verse 46, um, because the Passover ritual that the Israelites practice is symbolic and it foreshadows Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But the fact that the Messiah would not have a bone broken is also stated in Psalm 22, verse 17. It says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. So that phrase, I may tell all my bones, it means that all of his bones are intact. Um, and if you recall, especially in the book of John, it describes how um, when Jesus was crucified, uh, how the, the Roman guards, they broke the legs of the thieves that were crucified with him because the Romans would do that to speed up the process of crucifixion. But when they got to Jesus, they didn't break his bones. Instead, they pierced him in the side, unknowingly fulfilling this very prophecy. Prophecy number 11. Messiah will be a descendant of David. Uh, this is found in 2 Samuel 7.12 and Jeremiah 23 verses 5 to 6. The passage in Jeremiah states, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called, 
the Lord our righteousness. So what's so cool about this prophecy is that it also acknowledges that the Messiah will be God in the flesh. Because that phrase, the Lord our righteousness, that's saying Yahweh our righteousness. That this king, which will be the descendant of David, will be Yahweh in the flesh. Some people think that there's no evidence of the Trinity in the Old Testament at all, but here we have a pretty good implication um, of the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, right here. Okay, prophecy number 12, soldiers will gamble over Messiah's garments. And this again is found in Psalm 22:18, which uh, remember that as I stated earlier, Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, but it's written as an uh, basically a firsthand perspective from Jesus as he hung on the cross. So this verse says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my clothes. And that's exactly what happened at the crucifixion. Jesus' clothes were gambled over. Prophecy number 13, the Messiah will be pierced. Zechariah 12.10, uh, in this verse, God states, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And there's a lot of prophetic material in this one verse. It acknowledges that um, the house of David, so the Israelites themselves, will be the ones that are ultimately responsible for the piercing of the Messiah. Uh, it also notice the language about uh, the only son and the firstborn. Um, and we know that Jesus Christ is the unique son of God. So that's a really cool prophecy right there. Uh, prophecy number 14, the Messiah will be a light to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, this is found in Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 9 say that uh, God says here, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. I, the Lord, have called him in righteousness and will hold his hand and will keep him and give him for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Um, so, you know, the Old Testament was just heavily focused on the nation of Israel and a lot of the Jews, um, you know, were expecting God to use Israel to bring in the rest of the world um, to him. But... God, of course, in his foreknowledge, he knew that uh, Jesus would be rejected by the Jews ultimately. And so here he's prophesying that, hey, this Messiah is going to be a light to everybody, not just the Jews. Prophecy number 15, the Messiah will speak in parables. Uh, this is implied in Isaiah 6, verse 9 to 10. And in Psalm 78, verses 1 to 3, God says to give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. And 
one of the best well-known things about Jesus and his ministry, um, even a lot of you know non-believers know this, is that he taught a lot in parables. And if you want to find out why he taught in parables, that is an interesting study, which I would recommend. Prophecy number 16, the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. This is implied in Genesis 49 verse 10, um, which says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And this verse was said by Jacob as he was blessing his sons. Um, so the, the scepter here in this passage represents kingship or authority. Um, and so it was expected that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, uh, which, as we said earlier, the Messiah was supposed to come from the line of David, which was from Judah. Um, and this is reiterated in Revelation when John is seeing visions in heaven and he notes that there is this book that no one is righteous enough to open and he's weeping and he's sad um, because he knows that this book, it needs to be open for God's ultimate plan to unfold. And then an angel says, hey, you know, don't be sad. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming and he's going to open that book. And that lion from the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. Prophecy number 17, the Messiah will be a descendant of Jesse. Uh, this is a little redundant because if the Messiah was to be an offspring of David, then he would also be a descendant of Jesse. But this is uh, stated in Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 2. Uh, God says here, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> and that whole chapter is pretty interesting. There's some other messianic hints in there. I'd recommend you read that whole chapter, Isaiah 11, um, if you want to learn a little more on that. Prophecy number 18, the Messiah will arrive before the destruction of the temple. Now this can be found in uh, Daniel chapter 9, which contains the most phenomenal prophecy I believe that is in the Bible. You can listen to episode number 2 of this podcast for detail on that. But this is also stated in Malachi 3 verse 1, which uh, God says here, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And what's so neat is that the, this temple was destroyed a mere 40 years after Jesus was crucified. So within one generation of Jesus's death, the temple was destroyed and it has been destroyed ever since. Um, it will be built again, though, because that is a requirement for the end times. Uh, interesting study on that. Prophecy number 19, the Messiah will be called out of Egypt. Um, and now the New Testament recognizes this as a prophecy. It's found in Hosea 11 verse 1. And in here, God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And this verse here, um, it's recognized that it has a double meaning because for one, you know, you could take this as meaning that 
God's talking about the nation of Israel, as can be seen in the book of Exodus. But uh, the New Testament writers actually recognize this as a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah um, and how after he was born in Bethlehem, he spent um, a time in Egypt with his parents um, fulfilling this prophecy. And now prophecy number 20. Uh, This is actually, I think, the most clear-cut passage of the entire Old Testament that describes Jesus Christ. It's the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. Um, I urge you to bear with me as I read through it real quick. Uh, But this is Isaiah 53. It's known as the suffering servant passage of the Old Testament. And when I read this, I just want you to think if... If you can think of anyone else in the history of the world that would match the description in this passage here um, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Here we go. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's just, that is such a beautiful passage. That's such an awesome picture of our Lord and Savior. Um, I think it was Lee Strobel, the author of The Case for Christ, uh, stated that, I don't know if he did this or somebody knew, when, when they found that passage, they were just mind blown because Here, again, this is over half a millennium. I mean, we're talking 700 years before Jesus was born. And this was written, this 
picture-perfect description of him. And if you were to go read that to anybody on the streets, they would recognize that that is Jesus. So those are just 20 prophecies of the Messiah we went over. Um, there's dozens more. I'd encourage you to look them up. And I just want to end this episode real quick by pointing out that the Powerball Lottery uh, just reached its largest jackpot ever, uh, which is $1.9 billion. And so it costs $2 just to buy one ticket. And the odds of that one ticket winning is 1 in 292 million. Now get this. Out of the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, a mathematician named Peter Stoner analyzed the odds of any person in the history of the world fulfilling just 48 of these prophecies. And his calculations showed that the odds of any person fulfilling just 48 of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So that's 1 in 10 with 157 zeros after it. I don't even think we have a, a word that describes the number that big. So to put that in perspective, you have a better chance of winning the Powerball lottery 19 times in a row than you do of betting against Jesus as the Messiah. The only rational conclusion to draw from this evidence is that the men who wrote the Old Testament were inspired by God when writing down these predictions of the future Messiah. Divine inspiration is simply the only explanation for such accurate and consistent predictive power. In conclusion, this demonstrates that the Bible is inspired by God, Jesus Christ is God, and we can trust his words when he says that salvation from an eternity in hell can only be achieved by accepting his atoning sacrifice by faith alone. You'd never bet your entire life savings on winning the Powerball lottery just one time, much less 19 times in a row. But if you still have not accepted the free gift of eternal life offered by Jesus, you are betting something infinitely more precious than all of the money in the world on a gamble that defies all possibility. You're betting your eternity. There's a reason many of Jesus' parables are about being prepared. While those who are foolish will continue to ignore God and the things of eternity, the book of Daniel tells us that the wise will understand. So I just want you to ask yourself one question. Are you prepared for eternity? <laughs>